Turn, if you would, tonight to Revelation chapter 8. We're going to finish up chapter 8. And again, I have to remind you, remember that behind all of these things is the gracious, loving, tender, caring, undying love of God that cries out to mankind even tonight, desires that all men be saved, come to the knowledge of his repentance. And so as we move now to the trumpet judgments, begin tonight with just a little story for you. There's a Scottish lawyer, fairly wicked man, once hired a, a horse, and as he hired that horse, either through accident or ill use, he managed to kill the horse. Naturally, the owner insisted that he would be repaid for it, for the animal's value, together with some compensation for the loss. The lawyer acknowledged his liability, said he's perfectly willing to pay, but at the moment he was a little stretched for cash, and so he asked if he could have a little bit of time and if the owner would accept a promissory note, the owner apply, replied, he said, well, certainly, I'll, I'll accept a promissory note. Whereupon the lawyer, being a lawyer and being fairly wicked, uh, said he needed a, a good length of time to take care of it. He said, I, I, I want to make sure that it, there's enough time to make good on this debt. And so the lawyer drew up a note making the debt payable on the day of judgment. Eventually, the creditor took the matter to court. He wasn't getting paid, obviously. In defense, the lawyer asked the judge to take a look at the note. And so the judge took a look at it. And the judge said, the promissory note is perfectly good, sir, and I suggest that you pay by noon tomorrow unless you find jail appealing. A lawyer, being a shrewd lawyer, said, "Honor, Your Honor, can't you read? It's payable in the day of judgment. To that, the judge replied, on this earth, this is the day of judgment in this case, and you can take it up with a higher court when you get there. <laughs> yeah, see, we always look at everything in, in the sense of here and now because that's where we experience it. That, that's perfectly right. But we have to remember that there's a bigger picture in play in the book of Revelation. And especially as we enter into this time that is unprecedented in mankind's history. And so as you look at it, God is being gracious, God is being kind, he's allowing time for men to repent, and that time begins to draw to a close as we get into the remaining judgment found here in the book of Revelation. As you look at the seals, you'd say, well, that was enough. And then you look at the trumpets and you go, wow, we're really over the top. And then you get to the bold judgment, it's like, enough already. Enough of the, the destruction, and yet, that should give you a very, very, very poignant picture of exactly how hard the hearts of men can be. And I would point you to you, because there was a point in time, probably in your life, maybe some of you came to Christ very early, but there was likely a point in time in your life when you could look back and say, man, my heart was as hard as a rock. And I wasn't listening. I didn't want to listen. I didn't want to hear. I wanted everything my way. And that is the world's view right now of this whole scene that unfolds before us. And so as we look at this second type of judgment, uh, these trumpets that are going to be sounded, we have to look at it in, in light of what's going to happen. These first four will focus in 
on the earth, the creation itself. And as we look at them, keep in mind God's grace and mercy, even in the stuff that he's going to allow. So would you pray? Father, we have again just drawn together as a big family to study your word, to allow your spirit to speak to us through the power of your word. And we pray that it would speak forth with clarity, Lord, with boldness, Lord, with strength. Help us to realize the day and the time that we live in, Lord, the the season. It's late. Uh, It is the harvest season. And the fields are indeed white. The laborers in it are few. We pray that you'd make us strong laborers, Lord, as we look forward to your return. And may we be found actively engaged in the mission field that is our lives. We bless you. Pray that you'd speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 6 here in Revelation 8, and so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And and so these trumpets are going to go forth, and unfortunately, there are some false views uh, of what these trumpets are. And and I think I want to clear those up uh, prior to to going to what they really are. Let's clear up what they are not. Because there are those that believe that this is the calling home of the church, and it's very clear that it's not. Uh, much like people have mistakenly interpreted that somehow the horsemen bring something good. Uh, the horsemen don't bring anything good. They bring destruction, and it's very clear in context that's what they're bringing. So the same is true here. But that trumpet sound, remember there in First Thessalonians 4, it says this, beginning in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend, descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. Now notice that the voice of the archangel is with the trumpet of God in that passage. In other words, it's coming from heaven. It is an angelic voice. It is not announcing anything evil on the world. And at that trumpet sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here's the good news. And thus we will forever be with the Lord. Amen? That doesn't sound like he's going to destroy a third of anything. So I I don't believe that's what these trumpets are. The second passage there that uh, very often gets pointed to because there is a trumpet in each of the rapture passages as well. Uh, Very often people confuse all of these, you know, the trumpet this and the trumpet that. There are very distinct trumpets that are blown. And as we shared last time, you can see that throughout the Old Testament. There are trumpets of warning and trumpets for war and and trumpets to bring people to assembly and trumpets that were joyous and trumpets that were announcing judgment. And, And so you need to differentiate in context which trumpet it is. So there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we're not all going to croak. Maybe all of us will. I don't think so. The way the world's going right now, it seems very likely uh, that in our lifetimes, maybe tonight, uh, that trumpet will sound. And it says, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Can you imagine? And what a glorious night that's going to be. You know, the trumpet sounds, and all of a sudden, in the flash of the twinkle of an eye, in a few nanoseconds, at the last trumpet, as far as we're concerned, remember, this is spoken to Christians, and it's spoken to Christians on earth. The trumpets we're looking at are blasting forth to earth from heaven. And so, therefore, that trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, 
Oh, glory. And we will be changed. I'm looking forward to the trade-in. You know, isn't it strange how you can buy a car and you spend 30, 40, 50, a billion dollars for it? I don't know. They're just to get more expensive. I remember when I was, when I was in high school, you could buy brand new cars for $5,000. You could go down to the car and buy a brand new 1968 Mustang for five. Imagine you had one of those in your garage. But when you go to trade them in, they're not worth much. Amen. Yeah, it's crazy. You drive them off the lot and, you know, they depreciate. Well, guess what? Your body's depreciating bad. But one day you're going to do what I like to call the mega trade-in. You're trading your heap for glory. Amen? That's going to be a good day. It'll be a really good day. We shall all be changed into incorruptible images of the Lord Jesus. So what this is not that we're looking at tonight, I believe it's not those trumpets. And we saw that trumpet that will bring us home pictured there in Revelation chapter 4, and we looked at it when we were there. But this trumpet, is, as it blasts forth, is pouring out the wrath. Now we have another picture of that trumpet. It's found in Joel chapter 2, if you want to turn there. You see, the Lord is very faithful, has always been faithful, to make sure that we understand what's going on. And so in Joel chapter 2, he's speaking to the children of Israel, but what he's doing is he's, he's pointing us forward to the day of the Lord, which is what the book of Revelation is all about. It is the apocalypsis. It's the unveiling. It's the revealing of the very last things that are going to transpire on this earth, uh, culminating with the second coming of the Lord after we've departed and we've been in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The, the very last things that God's going to do as the age of grace closes and his eternal kingdom opens up, uh, the Jewish people understood this. And it says, there blow the trumpet in Zion. But notice it says, sound an alarm on my holy mountain and let all the inhabitants, inhabitants of the land tremble. So in association with this time, the day of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, in this case, the, third, the, three, the second three and a half years of the great tribulation, that, that time that you could look at and say, man, the world's never seen it. Notice what it says here, that the inhabitants of the land will tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds, thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. You know, kind of like those of you that are up on PV, you know, when that fog, you can't see across the street. It's going to be dark. Some will come great and strong, whom like has never been, nor will there ever be any such time after them for successive generations. And so Joel is looking ahead to the day of the Lord. And it is that trumpet that now begins to sound. And so what these trumpets actually are. The blast of the trumpet here is absolutely the judgment of God. And as, it, and as it goes forth, we're going to see what I like to call the, the judgment of the thirds. Because basically in each one of these four things, and we're going to look at four of them tonight, and I'm trying to speed these along because I know that for some of you, you're going like, I can't take anymore. But there is, there is a point to each one of them. 
And I want to draw your attention very shortly to, to a specific passage of Scripture. It's found there in Romans chapter 1. You can prepare yourself by going there if you'd like. But as you look at this judgment, remember what's already happened. These 144,000 evangelists have been sealed. And if you remember in chapter 7, remember what it said. And after these things, it says there in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 7, which we just looked at a couple of weeks ago, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. I saw the four winds of the earth, and the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And I saw together another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And so the seals are drawing to a close. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, now notice what is said, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Well, guess what? That's happened, and now God is releasing them. It becomes very clear that these next four trumpets are the release of what was previously held back. God said, don't touch the earth. And I I believe there's a reason for that, and you can certainly see it in our world today. When you look at our world, so much of our our political machine is driven this way, so much of, of what people talk about, what's on their minds and their hearts is our world. And whether you call it global warming, or whether you call it climate change, or whether you go back to when... Uh, I was in college, and it was the first Earth Day, and we are now in this massive environmental mindset to where a vast majority of the world cares more about plants and trees and whales and lemurs and, you know, fruit bats than they do about people. And, And so we're spending vast resources, immense intellectual property, and all kinds of time, effort, and energy on, in essence, worshiping the creation. The Apostle Paul told us that's exactly what would happen in the last days. Let's look at it. Verse 18, Romans chapter 1. So this time that we're now seeing in Revelation chapter 8 is, in fact, payback for the time that we are living in right now. And I do believe it's going to get worse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. In other words, what God says to us, writing through the Apostle Paul, is you can simply look at the world around you, the natural world around you, and you can wonder by seeing a lemur. You you can look at the mountains and, and see the finger of God. You can stare at a sunset and the intricacies of the human body, the marvel of the way our bodies self-diagnose. They then begin to work on fixing the problem and, and all of the systems that we have working together. You can look at you and go, there has got to be a divine design. It's supposed to be obvious to us. And I believe it actually is obvious to us. Scientifically, it's obvious to us. But notice what it says. 
were without excuse. Because although they knew God, in other words, the church has been around for a long time. People have been preaching Christ crucified and that there is a creator and that creator loves us. That's been a message for 2,000 years, amen? Think about it for a second. The church has been around, been persecuted. It's still here. And yet the central message of the church is Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by him. And so that message is in the world. And that message correlates with the creation. When you look at the creation, we do not have solid answers apart from a creator outside of space and time for the reason that we're here. People can dicker about it all they want. They can talk about nuclear physics. They can talk about particle physics. They can talk, talk about subatomic particles. They can talk about how they think we got here. But the simple fact of the matter is you have to have more faith to believe that there was a singularity that exploded that became this incredibly uh, organized universe than, than there is to believe that there's a creator, God, that's outside of space and time, and he simply created everything that you see. There's more faith involved in trying to figure it out scientifically. So what God is saying is, look, I told you by the things that are made that I'm here. So what does he tell us? Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Can you imagine during the time of Lamarck and Darwin, when, when they began to, to put together the theory of, of evolution as it exists in our world today, they began as at least theistic evolutionists. They believed that behind that was a God. And now we've translated this into, ah, we're just random chance processes over billions of years. And in fact, we're all related somewhere to a blue-green algae. You talk about becoming fools and professing ourselves to be wise we just continue to go down this road to which there is no end. Give you a little secret about the scientific method. It has to be verifiable and repeatable. So you have to look at it from the standpoint, you need to somehow verify this. There was nobody there. Nobody saw it happen. So if you believe it was 13.7 billion years ago, you're going to have a tough time verifying it. professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. In other words, everything becomes God except God. And so consequently, we do have people who worship redwood trees. We do have people who worship dolphins and whales. We do have people who worship the creation itself. And they will tell you that trees have souls and all kinds of things that when you, you look at them, you, you kind of go, well, that's really nice, but it's also sort of foolish. That's what your Bible says, but people would do that. Birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. Again, I love the creation. You're not going to find a person in this church that has more affinity for what God did in the days of creation than the guy standing on the platform tonight. I love what God did, and I believe with all my heart we should do a great job of being good stewards of what he gave us. And so we shouldn't be polluting our waterways. We should not be hucking trash everywhere. If you got those recycling bins, please use them. We could use less landfill. However, don't worship the dirt. 
worship the creator that made it all. And because of that, God gave them up to uncleanness and to the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves. The problem that we now have is because we started worshiping things other than God, everything becomes available to be a God. And so you have people that worship the God of same-sex marriage. You have people that worship the God of complete abandon. You have people that worship the God of humanism and hedonism and about every other kind of ism that you can think of. Because they don't want to acknowledge the plain truth that there is a God and that God created everything we see and everything that is. Everything we don't see He created. And so what happens is people then gravitate towards their own personal understanding of something that they would like to see be God. In other words, they make up their own God. Notice what it says. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature. In other words, the stuff that God made, very often the living parts, rather than the Creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. And so because mankind is currently right now in our world engaged in this very behavior, and this is new stuff, folks, This whole concept of worshiping Mother Earth, apart from very pagan ancient religions, as far as the world is concerned, really came about in 1972. That's when it basically began. So we've had a little more than 40 years of this mentality that the Earth itself is actually more important than we are. From God's perspective, that not only is heresy, it's an affront because he said, man alone I made in my image. He didn't make dirt in his image. He didn't make mountains and trees in his image. Those mountains, those trees testify of who he is. You're supposed to look at him when you see a sunset and you look at the colors and the, and the variance in it and how it affects your brain. Have you ever wondered why you have euphoric thought when you look at things like that? That's because God loves you. And he created you with the capacity to understand that behind all of that has to be something greater than you. And so you stand in awe of it. And the crazy thing is, with all of our works, we can't replicate those things. God does them every moment of every day. We're supposed to be looking to him, not to this world. And so because of that, the first trumpet kicks in, and it's bye-bye all vegetation, or basically a third of it. And so you're going to see a commonality. A third of these things, each one of them, will be destroyed successively. And I firmly believe that this is God taking down the false god of creation. In other words, those who worship the creation instead of the creator. And he's going to do it systematically. He's going to start with the the grass, the green things on this earth. And the first angel sounded, verse 7, and hail and fire followed and mingled with blood. And they were thrown down to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up and all 
a third of the green grass was also burned up. And so this first trumpet sounds, and you see this ecological disaster that takes away a third uh, of the greenery, in essence, of the earth. And most of us think uh, of hail. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a real hailstorm to where they're a half inch or, or bigger. If you've ever been pelted by a hail uh, hailstone that's a, a half inch or larger, um, you will be running for cover quickly. If you have, like, I've been in Texas. I was building a radio tower there outside of Dallas, and, and a hailstorm moved in. Unfortunately, we got to uh, the building that we were working out of at the base of that tower, uh, but we left a rental car outside. That thing looked like it'd been through a can crusher. It, every body panel on it was dented. Half the glass was broken out. Hail can do tremendous damage. People often say, well, you know, this is special kind. I don't know whether it's a special kind of hail or not. I know what God's Word says. He's going to do some things that we don't understand, and I'm okay leaving him as God, okay? So whether we can explain it with natural or semi-natural means, I think the easiest thing for us to do is take him at his word, and it's supernatural. So whether it's a gigantic hailstorm or whether it's a regular hailstorm that lasts for a long time, the point is God has at his disposal the ability to take down your little gods, and he can do it really fast. And so this giant hailstorm breaks loose. As you study this judgment, can you imagine if we lost a third of the vegetation on earth? For those of you that have a basic understanding of botany, uh, how is our atmosphere replenished? Our bodies breathe out carbon dioxide, amen? And as they breathe out carbon dioxide, the plants, through photosynthesis, take in that carbon dioxide, which they feed on, they then release oxygen, which is what we need. Now imagine that a third of the Earth's ability to recycle our carbon dioxide is gone. That's not going to be a good thing. Our atmosphere isn't too good now. Now imagine the word that's used for grass also pertains to wheat, barley, all grains. Imagine that the world's grain supplies are cut by one-third. We have less than four weeks worth of grain supplies right now in the world. Now imagine there aren't any. Imagine that a third of them, which would not be even enough to feed even this country, have been destroyed. And so as we look back at the Old Testament there in Exodus chapter 9, God's done these things before. Hail struck throughout all of the land. He's used that type of a a destructive force uh, to take care of things. But what God is really saying is, look, don't worship what I made. You worship me. The second trumpet, and again, these things are successive, and as you look at them, one ties to the other, and so he says goodbyes to the oceans and to the ships that are on it. Then the second angel sounded in verse 8, and something like a great mountain, and notice, would you please, that it says something like, and that's an accurate translation of the original language. It doesn't say it is a mountain. It says something like a mountain. And so whether it is an actual mountain that's uprooted and flung into the ocean or whether it is something that looks like a mountain, which is my personal belief, and whether that's an asteroid or a meteor, I don't know that it's it's really mindful for us that we should try and, well, let's try and figure it out because Scripture doesn't say. And when Scripture is silent, you know, theorizing what we think it might be is somewhat fruitless. But I do know that God's quite capable 
of moving an asteroid towards our planet. And if he wants to smack the sea with it, that would be very easy for him to do. Uh, even secular scientists believe that it was likely an asteroid hitting the Earth that caused the extinction uh, of the dinosaurs and is responsible for what we see as the evidence of flooding all over the world. We happen to believe it was actually the flood. But there is evidence all over the globe of massive flooding. Most people don't realize that there are even fossils at the tops of the Himalayas. So try and figure out how those got there without there being some flooding. So the angel sounds something like a great mountain burning with fire. Was it a super volcano? Which, if you know anything about the state of Wyoming, it is basically a giant super volcano. The whole Yellowstone National Park is actually a gigantic caldera. It's over 60 miles wide. So does it get uprooted and does that ash blow in? I don't know. So don't send me emails saying, well, you said it was a volcano. I didn't say it was a volcano. I didn't say it was an asteroid. Could be either one of those things. God could uproot a literal mountain. Maybe something blows up and the mountain flies straight into the air and lands. I don't know. God's telling us what he's going to do. He doesn't tell us how he's going to do it. Thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And whether this is a red tide or some form of you know, plague or the deaths of massive amounts of sea life, uh, the, the point is that God's going to, for those that worship the sea, going to take care of their worship as well. And a third of the ships, and I think this is interesting, were destroyed. And so as you look at this again, the plagues that were foisted upon the Egyptians all bear on each of these things to some degree. God's done these types of things before, so it's not uncommon for the Lord to use uh, things that we don't understand. I, I don't know how God accomplished everything that he accomplished. I wasn't there when he made the worlds, but I know this. What I'm looking at, somebody made. And so I'm okay leaving God God. With the sounding of this trumpet, a huge object hits the sea. Sea creatures die, ships that are in it. You know, Can you imagine the size of a, a tidal wave of something that large being thrust into the ocean? We get a little uplift from an earthquake. Remember in Thailand, we had 285,000 people die from an earthquake off the coast of Thailand. Now imagine that something the size of a mountain gets thrown near a coastal area. You know, we think about, well, this couldn't happen. Sure it could. And imagine that it says a third of the ships are gone as well. Currently, if you, you know, do a little Google search, you're going to find out that most people believe there's around 55,000 ships or so that ply the oceans of the world every single day. Of those, one-third are gone. On those ships are probably 1.5 million people at any given point in time. Our nuclear aircraft carriers have more than 5,000 each. So the USS Ronald Reagan happens to be out in the ocean, and this happens, it's going down with 5,000 souls on it. So we're probably talking 17,000 ships or so destroyed, maybe as many as half a million people, all instantaneously drowned, just like that. All those that were worshiping the ocean you're walking by everywhere we go in the South Bay, drains to ocean. Amen? 
It's right there on the curb. And by the way, don't put your stuff down there. I'll slap you. I like my ocean water without your motor oil in it, okay? But we're not saving it. We should attempt. But there are an awful lot of people that worship that blue stuff out there. They should be worshiping the Lord God. Hosea chapter 4 verse 3 says, And therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells therein will waste away, and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea will be taken away. So God's made these types of claims before. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 2 and 3 says, Utterly I will consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man, beast, birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea. So he's, he's told us before that he's capable of doing these things. I just simply take him at his word. The third trumpet. We, we say goodbye to all of the, the third of the fresh water that's on earth. Now, most people don't realize it, but the Great Lakes contain 21 to 23% of the earth's entire fresh water supply. Just those lakes. You don't only have to deal with those to wipe out you did that in the Mississippi, you're pretty much there at a third. So I'm not saying that the U.S. is going to get this, but it's not that far-fetched. Then a third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of that star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And men died, many men died from the water because it was made bitter. And again, we see in heavenly objects striking the earth. Do we know that it's a comet of some kind? It could be. Maybe it's filled with some type of space bacteria. Maybe E.T. phoned home on I don't know. You know, people that write books on these things and tell you that they know exactly what it is and they can name the name of the comet and where it's coming from. And, you know, 13 years from now, comet LX57.1 is going to pass by the earth and it's going to spin off a little meteorite and it's going to, we don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. We just know that God's going to do it. And when it happens, if you're here tonight and you love the Lord Jesus, you're not going to be here to see it. Hallelujah. But we've been told about old wormwood before. Uh, and it, it stood for bitterness. And I would remind you, there in Jeremiah 9, the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, after the Baals, the false gods of the Amorites, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them bitter, poisonous water, the water of gall to drink. In other words, God's already warned us, look, you, you, you can't just keep ignoring who I am. And the more we do that, the more the world is set up for God to say, enough. I've had all that I'm going to take. The other story that you all know is the story of the children of Israel, and it's actually the reverse of this, amen? Because the children of Israel, they're in Exodus chapter 15, are wandering in the wilderness, and they are thirsty as all get out. It's dry as a bone. 
They're wandering around, and Moses brought them across the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and there for three days in the wilderness, they found no water. Now, if you know anything about human physiology, after three days, the fourth day, you're pretty close to dead. That's about all you can go. Three, maybe four days, and, and you're in deep, deep, deep trouble. So God took them right to the edge of themselves. And they came to Marah, and they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. And here's what God does with bitter water. He throws a tree into it, and he makes it sweet. Let me tell you tonight, if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, he wants to throw his tree into your bitter water and make it sweet. That's what he does. But if we ignore him, then he allows the bitterness that we've asked for to be our reality. That's the choice that mankind has. We can keep what we can get for ourselves, and it will be bitter. That's why people are hoping in this world and all this the stuff that, that things are somehow, we're going to finally clean up everything. I have to tell you, it, it does. It breaks your heart sometimes when you drive around. I, I was up in the Bristlecone Pines, gosh, back in the 60s, and I, I remember being able to walk around. You could walk right up to the Methuselah tree, and you know now they've hidden it because knuckleheads go up there and cut limbs off of it and just do dumb things. That tree was 4,000 years old when Jesus was walking on this earth. And so we do some dumb things with the creation for sure. But worshiping it isn't going to save it. It was created for a time. It was created for us to enjoy. We need to turn to the Lord. When you think about this, you know, we, we think on average NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, when they, when they talk about rainfall totals on the North American continent, somewhere around 440 billions of gal- gallons of water fall from the sky in the form of rain, snow, on a daily basis in this country. Every day. And of that, some 25% of it makes it into our lakes. Did you know almost a third of our lakes today, the water quality in them is so bad that they are not consumable by humans? You look, there's a thing going on in Lake Erie right now. There's a gigantic algae bloom. The whole lake is actually poisonous right now. So God can do these things very easily. The fourth trumpet. And now we see the heavens affected. And remember, God has a hand on all these things. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, a third of the stars, and a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And people look at this and go, well, that's impossible. It can't happen. Sure it can. And it happens all the time in the Arctic. If you know anything about life above the Arctic Circle, they have perpetual summer, and they have perpetual night part of the year. The reason being their latitude where they sit with relationship to our little 23, you know, 24 degree tilt that the earth is on its axis to, to level in relation to the way the earth spins and travels around the sun. It creates very, actually 24 hours of day and 24 hours of night, depending on how close you are to the equinoxes. And so... God just says, you know what, look, I'm taking my hands off the stars so they can kind of do whatever they want. I'm no longer going to keep them in their place. A little gravitational shift, and all of a sudden the world's not sitting at the tilt that it is now. It goes around the sun. Guess what? you got permanent darkness on one side and permanent light on the other. 
without changing the speed with which it rotates, which is the reason that we have the gravitational force that keeps us on the earth. Amen? So in that sense, God could do those things. People say, well, no, he'd have to slow the earth down and we'd all fly off, you know, the normal kid thing. If the earth stopped spinning, we'd all fly off. God can do anything he wants. Supernatural event. Happened before, Joshua, in his life in Joshua 10, that one long day. We don't know what God did, but he said he did it before. Provided Joshua and the armies of the children of Israel an extra amount of time uh, to deal uh, with the Amorites before the children of Israel. And so, I don't know what he's going to do, but I know this. He can do it. If he can create the universe that we sit in right now, I'm pretty sure he can alter the one that we're riding around on. You know, it kind of seems like a fairly small thing to do for me. It's kind of like the guy that creates the car can put a paint job on it, I'm pretty sure. Actually, there was a Franciscan friar back in the 1500s, actually 1499, died in I think 1590, he lived almost to be 100 years old. But he had spent about 60 years ministering to the Aztecs, the Aztec people in Mesoamerica. And they had a very, very, very well-documented historical event that transpired, and it was recorded in his annals. Bernardo de Sancagún was the, this guy who ended up being really the world's first anthropologist. And it was recorded that they believed that the earth stood still uh, for a day. And so whether that was Joshua's day, we don't know. But God can do anything he wants. Remember Luke's gospel, Matthew's gospel, both tell us in the Olivet Discourse that the sun, the moon, the stars are all going to be affected when the Lord decides to finally deal with mankind. So Luke 21, Matthew 24, all give you the same picture. So it's not, it's not these strange things that we see in the book of Revelation. God's been consistent with the message. Jesus spoke the same message when he was actually here. It came from his lips. Matthew twenty four twenty nine says this immediately. After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Amen? Can't wait for that day. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. That's exactly what Zechariah said would happen. That's what Joel said would happen. So God's been sending this message for a very long time. The better part of 3,000 years, he's been saying much the same thing. Look, turn to me, worship me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Wasn't that the original command? The very first one? Look, I'm it. I'm the only one, and mankind's been going, ah, we don't like that. Jesus said, and then you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It's going to happen one day. In the meantime, unfortunately for this world, it's going to go from bad to worse, and there's no getting around it. That's, it just is going to happen. People constantly say, well, we can prevent it. No, you can't. No, you can't. That clock was put in motion a long time ago, and it's been spinning. And God says, look, 
When it's time, it's time. Verse 13, and I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Now here's again where the grace and the mercy of God comes back in. Because even in these things he's already described, before he gets into the ones that will directly affect man, as in directly to man, the last three trumpets, these first four are his creation. Basically he's saying, look, you keep worshiping the dirt, you keep worshiping the birds, you keep worshiping the plants, you keep worshiping the earth, I'll take that away from you. But before I go any further, let me sound a trumpet and warn you. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven with a loud voice saying, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts. Get it? You think it's bad that a third of the fresh water and a third of the daylight and a third of the plant life of earth, you think all that's bad? Woe, because of the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. So even in doing what he's already done, allowing what he's already allowed, he's saying, please repent. You ever wondered why God busts you on your sin? It's not because he just wants to show how much knowledge he has or how much power he has or how much ability he has to look you know, right through your soul. I always tell people, it's like you can see through my soul. And no, God can. But he wrote in his word an awful lot of things that if I just simply repeat them to you, I'm going to be accurate 100% of the time, so it just looks like it. You see God saying, look, repent. Turn around. You don't want to destroy us. He wants to bless us. And so those three more blasts will come, those three final trumpet blasts and these trumpet judgment. Nothing has ever happened like this before. That's why chapter 6 reminds us, for great, the great day of his wrath has come, and who, who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? Anybody who's in Jesus, amen? It's always been the same answer. It's not going to be a different answer during the tribulation. You're going to need to give your life to Christ. And if you do, you're going to be saved. So hopefully they'll store all these messages in, in some digital format and people will be listening to them. And they'll be going, ah, he was right. These crazy Christians knew all along. Let me leave you with this tonight. Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 3. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, humility, that it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Amen? You see, if you do that before he comes, marriage supper of the Lamb, heaven. You do that after he comes, you have to go through whatever you got to go through to get there. That's a bad deal. So seek the Lord while he may be found. And that's tonight. It's a wake-up call. It, it's for us to speak to those that we know and love and, and tell them, oh, Jesus loves you. He has an amazing plan for your life. None of these things do you need to fear. I'm not afraid of any of them. 
I'm not going to be here. But I do want to let other people know about it because unless they know him, they will be here. Or worse yet, they'll be awaiting that final judgment because they will have passed from death unto life without knowing him. Life unto death is where they'll go. Make sure your faith is so real that you live it. And if you live it, make sure that somebody else catches what you got. Amen? we have the prayer team come forward if you need to pray. You've never received Jesus. Man, no decision that you will ever make will have an eternal impact. No decision that you will ever make will have an eternal impact. Every decision, every other decision that you make has temporal impact. It may last your whole lifetime, but that one decision, what you do with Jesus Christ, will also determine where you spend eternity. Give your life to him. He loves you. He sent Jesus to prove it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that all these warnings, Lord, all of these things that you have told us are, are for the very purpose of keeping us from having to worry about it, keeping us from having to think about it, Lord, for those who are your kids don't have to worry about your wrath because you've actually saved us from it. It's not been appointed unto us. And so, God, we ask that you would reach into the hearts and minds. Anyone that's here tonight has never made that profession of faith. They've never invited you, Jesus, into their life. They've never recognized, Lord, until tonight that they were in need of a Savior. And in fact, you, Jesus, are the only Savior of the world. You're the only Lord. And so, God, we just ask that you would save someone tonight. Pray that you would bless us as your people. Encourage us and strengthen us. Lord, help us to see our world correctly. Lord, help us to love the lost like you do. God, people are perishing in our neighborhood. And they need you, Jesus. We bless you that you've told us the end of the story before it ever happens. That you have a plan. Lord, that we should be in heaven. So help us all to meet you there. We bless you. We praise you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.